I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board-certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I have a very special guest with me today, Dr. Alicia Webb-Milam, who is a veterinary dermatology specialist. She and I are going to be talking about something that we discuss with our clients and pet owners on a daily basis, and that is skin infections. Because we see a lot of pets that have skin infections when they have some type of skin disease. Uh, and so today's episode is going to bring you some information about what we can do to figure out uh, why they're getting those skin infections and how we can treat them moving forward. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Webb Milam. Very happy to be here. Thank you, Dr. Lancelotti. So I want to give the listeners a little bit of an introduction because you have kind of a fascinating background. You are a board certified veterinary dermatologist. You're also the owner of Redbud Animal Dermatology and Allergy Specialists in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You grew up in a small town. And how many people were in your class when you graduated high school? A massive class of 26. <laughs> oh, gosh. So everybody knew everybody, huh? That's an understatement. And you were the valedictorian um, when you graduated? I sure was. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> and then from there, you went to the University of Oklahoma and you got your degree in zoology with a minor in English literature. Tell me about that. I love literature almost more than anything, maybe more than anything except for dogs. Uh, <laughs> literature really helps us understand humanity. And so it's something that I still keep up with quite a bit. Yeah, you're one of the most avid book readers that I know. <laughs> I, I do keep up with that. And so from there, you went to Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine and then worked in private practice, just doing general small animal practice for about five years. After that, you did a residency with Animal Dermatology Clinic in Tustin, California, which is where you and I met as resident mates. That was a lot of fun being able to work with you during that time. It was wonderful. I kind of miss those days. I know. Nice being down close to the beach, a little bit different from being out in the middle of the country. It is, but I'm glad to be here as well. After finishing your residency and passing the dermatology board exam, you then traveled back home to start your private practice, Redbud Animal Dermatology and Allergy Specialist. Tell me a little bit about your practice. I love my practice. I'm back home in Oklahoma City where I practiced before, and it's really amazing to get to serve the community to which I belong and also where I saw pets as a primary veterinarian. So occasionally I will get to see pets that I actually took care of as puppies now come to see me as dermatology patients. So that's really special. Always great to be able to provide a service that wasn't here before I got here. So I'm happy to bring that specialty to the Oklahoma City area. 
Yeah, it's a really wonderful way to be able to serve your community. Yeah. So I want to talk today about infections. And do you think there's ever a day where you don't talk to pet owners about a skin infection? No, absolutely not. In fact, I think I talk about it at least five to six times per day minimum. So tell me about a special case that you had that kind of comes to mind when you think about really severe skin infections. Yeah, there are several that I could come up with, but the one that really sticks out in my mind, and we'll call her Carolina, and she's a six-year-old bulldog, and she came to me as maybe a third or fourth opinion. She'd had allergies for a long time, but they had been able to be managed relatively well. But over the past several months, she had also developed these really terrible firm skin lesions all over her skin. And these lesions were really red and weeping. And she was pretty stinky. And when that happens, it's pretty sad because people no longer want them in their beds. They don't want to touch the dog. It can be pretty sad for all involved. So Carolina had been on several medications for itching and they had seemed to stop working. And so most recently, she was put on a steroid called prednisone. Um, as well as multiple rounds of, of various antibiotics, but really nothing seemed to help anymore. She was really, really miserable. And her last veterinarian offered that maybe putting her to sleep might be um, an option because she was suffering and, and she wasn't seeming to get better. So Carolina's people sought me out as kind of a, a last option. And when I first saw Carolina, she was depressed, but really still a loving dog. She could not stand still in the exam room without scratching her skin. And I mean, I have a high tolerance for odor as a veterinary dermatologist, but her odor was quite remarkable. Um, oh, poor girl. She sounds like she was absolutely miserable. Yeah. And I did discover that the lesions on her body were really firm and, and those were a side effect of the steroid. But on top of that, I discovered that these lesions were really, really infected. And that can be a major reason for itching. And for odor too, right? Exactly. I mean, we, we smell some really bad smells coming from skin infections. <laughs> yes, for sure. And so I was concerned because again, this girl had been on a bunch of antibiotics and nothing had cleared her infection before. And so at that point, you can't really guess anymore. And so I submitted a test called a culture insensitivity to, to confirm what type of bacteria was present and what our remaining antibiotic options were. Unfortunately, her infection was really extensively resistant to almost every antibiotic tested. And so the options that we had left could cause her considerable harm and could also cost the owners a lot of money when it comes to monitoring for side effects. So before we reached for one of those, I discussed with Carolina's owner that often topical therapy can be really effective at treating skin infections if done diligently and with the correct products. Carolina's owner was really committed to this process, and we were actually able to completely treat Carolina's infection with an antiseptic shampoo and a spray and avoid antibiotics altogether. Wow, what a relief that must have been to not have to reach for a medication that could seriously cause some harm to her. Yeah. And today she's not only alive, but she's thriving and she has healthy skin and minimal itching. Now the infections are resolved and the plaques from the steroids have resolved. We can now manage her allergies with safer medications. And I do have a photo of her, which is with one month of treating her infections with the secondary topical products. 
This picture is absolutely remarkable. And I would encourage the listeners, if you want to check out Carolina's progress, to visit the website yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com um, to see how much of a drastic change there is with just uh, really diligent treatment of this particular infection. I imagine this dog not only feels better, but has an improved quality of life because now that she's not stinky anymore, the owners are happier to be around her and to pet her and love her, which is ultimately what our pets want from us. Sure. And in Carolina's case, this is also resolution of calcinosis cutis as well. So not just infection, but that is a major part of her progress. Yeah. And if our listeners want to hear more about calcinosis cutis and other side effects that we can see with long-term steroid use, there's a great episode earlier in the season that was done with Dr. Curtis Plowgen, where we talk about steroids and their risks versus benefits. So that's something you can certainly listen to if you want more information. But for today's episode, I have a couple goals for us. You know, I want to talk a little bit about what types of infections commonly occur on the skin of dogs and cats, what those underlying causes of the infections are, why are these animals getting infected, the importance of cytology, which is one of our diagnostic tools that we use to help guide the treatment of the infection, and then the benefits and drawbacks to the different types of treatments. So you mentioned topical therapy and treating care Carolina skin versus some systemic or oral antibiotics and what the difference between those different treatment processes would entail. So let's start first by talking about the different types of infections. What kind of infections do dogs and cats commonly develop and where are those bacteria or yeast coming from? Yeah, so most commonly it's staph, which is certainly a type of bacteria, and a yeast called malassezia are responsible for the bulk of the skin infections that we see in pets. But occasionally we can see other opportunistic bacteria such as Pseudomonas or Streptococcus and E. coli can also be involved. Dr. Webb, when you talk about opportunistic bacteria, tell the listeners a little bit about what that means. So there are bacteria in our environment and on the surface of our skin and in our bodies all the time. It's important to understand that both humans and pets have a significant amount of these microorganisms. In fact, as humans have as many, if not more, bacterial cells in our body as we do our own cells. So under normal circumstances, these bacteria don't cause us harm. And in fact, they can sometimes be helpful. This is kind of the thought process behind probiotics. But in conditions where the body is no longer in balance, either in regard to the skin's barrier function or the immune response, these organisms can really start to cause significant problems. And by opportunistic, we mean they are taking the opportunity to really create havoc So in normal situations, we don't have a problem with these bacteria and yeast, but because there's something going on that's impairing the body's protective functions, those bacteria and yeast can then start to overpopulate, and that's when we see problems. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the primary diseases that we see causing these secondary opportunistic infections. Sure. As mentioned, these bacteria and yeast are already there on the surface of the skin. And again, in most cases, these don't cause an issue. They do tend to cause an issue when there's a problem with either the barrier function and or the immune response. So any disease that affects either of these functions can lead to secondary infections. But the most common reason for dogs to develop secondary bacteria and or yeast infections is allergies. That's something that you and I see all day long, every day. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We can think of normal skin as a nice solid brick wall um, with the skin cells comprising the bricks and the mortar in between the bricks composed of various substances, including certain types of fats called lipids. This wall keeps the good stuff in and the potentially bad stuff on the outside. When dogs have a disease like allergies, this mortar, quote unquote, gets disrupted and now we have holes in the wall. These holes allow pollen and the environment to come into contact with the immune cells that are acting as guards in the deeper layers of the skin, and those guards then go on to trigger an immune response. These holes also allow yeast and bacteria that are already there to really get a foothold, grow in numbers, and spread. This is a huge deal because these organisms can then make itching worse, which can then lead to scratching, which can then lead to further disruptions of the barrier of the skin. It really is a vicious cycle, and it's critical to treat both arms of this process. We can't just treat the itching. We can't just treat the infection. We really have to treat both. Yeah, so if you're interested in hearing more about allergies, episodes one through eight are all about the different kinds of allergies and the different treatments that we have available. But you're absolutely right about the barrier being so important as far as allergic skin disease and these secondary infections. So not only do these animals with allergies have this really hyperactive immune system, their genetics are different and that barrier is not a normal barrier. So they don't have that protection that normal dogs have. That brick and mortar wall is damaged and all those holes in there cause problems as far as a secondary infection and the pollens triggering that immune system that's already hyperactive. So addressing the infection is important, but also finding some type of therapy that helps to repair that barrier is really important too. And oftentimes that's where we use a lot of topical therapy to help to repair that barrier while we're treating the infection. But allergies aren't the only thing. What other types of diseases can lead to secondary skin infections? The other major category that we really see a lot in dermatology are hormonal diseases called endocrinopathies. That just means a disruption with the hormonal function of the body. The most common disorders are hypothyroidism, where the body is not making enough thyroid hormone, and Cushing's disease, which is also called hyperadrenocorticism, where the body is making too much cortisol or steroid hormone. Um, Both of these disorders can also lead to problems with the barrier as well as a faulty immune response. Yeah, absolutely. Even for us treating this disease, it can certainly be complicated. I know you and I and our fellow dermatology colleagues have had many conversations about the complexities of hormonal skin diseases. There are a few episodes on Cushing's disease specifically that I did with Dr. Amy Oberstadt, who is an internal medicine specialist, and they oftentimes treat hormonal diseases as well. So if you're interested interested in more information about Cushing's disease, episodes 9, 10, and 11 are all about how to identify that particular disease and have it treated. But yeah, the hormonal skin diseases can cause issues as far as the immune system not being able to control those normal bacteria and yeast that usually don't cause a problem. Uh, So identifying those underlying hormonal diseases and getting that treated will help the immune system to then work with you to keep the infections under control. So let's talk a little bit about how to figure out if an animal has an infection and if they do, what type of infection? How do you tell if an infection is bacteria or yeast? You know, I I always hear pet owners saying, oh, it has this really yeasty smell to it. You know, what's a way to confirm that that smell actually is yeast? That is such a common misconception. So 
Veterinary dermatologists are in love with this simple test called cytology. Cytology is such a simple test involving a glass slide, some basic stains, and a microscope. It is one of the most, if not the most, important thing that we can do when appropriately managing skin disease. So cytology means the study of cells. And in veterinary dermatology specifically, we are sampling the surface of the skin or the ears and evaluating what cells are present and then interpreting what that means to our patient. This can be done with a variety of techniques and does require practice and experience, but the information is truly invaluable. When I am reading a cytology slide, I am looking to see if there are white blood cells on the skin and if there is an excessive amount of yeast and or bacteria, that's how we can tell because they look different under the microscope. It really is a great misconception that we can reliably smell yeast on a dog's skin or ears because both yeast and bacteria can look and smell exactly the same. And in addition, sometimes it's both and we really need to know what we're treating in order to treat it well. Yeah, we can't just prescribe an antifungal medication because we think we smell yeast, because if that animal has bacteria, our treatment is going to be ineffective. And that leads to the animal continuing to be uncomfortable and the pet owner and the veterinarian being frustrated that the animal's not getting better. So cytology is this invaluable tool. And if you're interested in hearing more about cytology, I've got a great episode coming up that's all about cytology with a dermatologist whose name is Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. Her mantra essentially is cytology everything. So she's going to be a great guest to talk about why that's such an important tool. I want to talk a little bit more about treatment because there's a lot of different ways that we can approach these infections once we know exactly what type of infection that we're dealing with. So talk to me about your usual approach to skin infections. Why would you pick up a topical treatment versus a systemic treatment? First, we really need to define, again, what we mean by topical and systemic. Uh, Topical therapy is pretty straightforward, and it's therapy that is applied directly to the skin itself. This is one of the most beautiful things about treating skin is that we have direct access to the organ that we are treating. The benefits of topical therapy is that it is generally safer, um, more cost-effective, and significantly less likely to induce further resistant strains of bacteria. The cons of topical therapy are pretty much directly related to inconvenience, and in some cases, physical difficulties of the pet owner or behavioral issues with the pet, as well as access to appropriate facilities. Most active ingredients and products that are effective require contact time, meaning that you got to let it set for an appropriate time before it's going to be effective. And you really don't realize how long five to 10 minutes really is until you are sitting with your wet dog in the bathtub. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if that dog is not really interested in being in the bathtub for five to 10 minutes, it can be quite a challenge to get that entire contact time done without the pet trying to jump out of the tub and run away from you. There's a lot of ways that we can kind of reduce the barriers to being able to properly accomplish this topical therapy. And so I I would encourage pet owners, if you're having difficulty doing these medicated baths for whatever reason, whether it's the animal's stress level, not having the appropriate facilities to be able to bathe them, having physical pain when bathing a large animal, you know, these are things to talk to your family vet about so that you can problem solve and come up with ways to make the topical therapy more effective. Absolutely. There are a lot of things that we can do to troubleshoot the process. Um, 
I know that you do a lot of fear free. Are you having pet owners use the licky pads with bathing? I love them. So the one that I commonly recommend is called the Aquapause Slow Treater. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for people to check out. It's the silicone sticky mat that you can pop on the side of your bathtub or shower and smear food onto the mat so that you can use that as a way to not only create a positive association so the animal gets more excited to take a bath, but also a food-based restraint. So it's keeping the animal occupied and keeping them in the tub because that's where they want to be. That's where the food is. So it helps to make that five to 10 minutes go a lot faster. I also am a strong proponent about trying to minimize the anxiety associated with bathing. And sometimes for those animals that are really anxious in the tub, that may mean reaching for some anti-anxiety medication to make them more comfortable during those first few baths so that the more they have a positive association with the bath, the less likely the pet owner will need to use the anti-anxiety medication long term. So certainly another way to address stress but it's something that you need to talk to your veterinarian about if you're having problems. Absolutely. That's very important. I will also say that some dogs are undergoing diet trials. And so we have to be a little bit careful with a food-based motivation. So just clear that with your veterinarian before you go that route. But if we're not doing a diet trial, those are fantastic. Yeah, I will actually tell some of my clients whose pets are on diet trials, if they're using a canned food, they can take the canned food and smear it on that slow treater. Or if it's just a kibble that they're using, they can actually soak that kibble with some water and then pulverize it in the blender and make it into like a a mushy meal and smear it onto the slow treater that way too. And sometimes sticking that um, slow treater in the freezer with the food on it first can be helpful because it takes the animal a little bit longer to get the food out. So that 10 minutes, they're still working on all of the food. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great idea. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about some other tips that you have for when an owner is using a medicated shampoo. How would you recommend they do that so that they're most successful in treating the infections? So when using the medicated shampoo, it's important to pay attention to how and where you are applying the shampoo. So a lot of people have this impulse, me included, to just grab the shampoo and just pour it along the back of the dog. But in allergies, that tends to not be the area that's most effective. So you really, really want to focus your efforts and your product to the problem areas. Frequently in in dogs with allergies, this is the paws and the neck and the armpits, etc., You want to make sure that you're applying the product to those areas first and make sure you're getting good contact with the skin and then work your way to the less affected areas. You know, you mentioned that paws are an area that can be really affected. And I hear so commonly from owners when the paws are being affected, they don't quite understand how important it is to spread the toes apart and to really scrub in between each toe and break up any gunk that's in between the toes uh, on both the top and the bottom sides of the paws. The other area where pets can really have some kind of hidden infections that we don't always look for are right at the base of the claws where the claw comes out from the skin. I see so many 
animals with big colonies of bacteria and yeast right at their cuticles. So I will have owners actually get a soft bristled nail brush and use that to physically break up those colonies right at the cuticles while they're in the bathtub so that the shampoo can better penetrate that skin and help to clear those infections that are very commonly a major cause of that ongoing paw licking behavior that doesn't respond to our regular anti-itch medication because the itch is coming from infection. So, so very important. In fact, it might be helpful to show some photos because when I'm talking to pet owners, they sometimes have a difficulty picturing what we're talking about, spreading the toes, looking at the clawfold anatomy. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'll try and get some pictures and video of paws and how to bathe them properly so that the contact of the shampoo is as effective as possible. Absolutely. As far as the medicated shampoos, you know, can they reach for just anything that's on the counter at the pet store? I strongly caution against that. Certainly there are shampoos labeled medicated at most pet stores, but not all medicated shampoos are created equal. It's really important to choose a product with two important components. One, we want effective ingredients. And two, we want supportive ingredients that will not cause further disruption to the skin barrier. A lot of times when I am talking to pet owners about bathing more frequently, I get this initial pushback as, hey, I thought I wasn't supposed to bathe my dog more because I will dry their skin out. Mm-hmm. And if you're using the wrong product, that's certainly true. And that's why we need to be really selective about what we're using. Yeah, I hear that quite a bit too. You know, the pet owners will say, oh, I was told I shouldn't bathe more than once a month. And if you're using something that has a really moisturizing and restorative ingredient to help repair that damaged skin barrier that we talked about before, you cannot overbathe with those shampoos. And a lot of people will ask, well, do I need to put a conditioner on afterwards if I'm bathing this often? And Again, if you're using an appropriate product, then no, you shouldn't need to put on an additional conditioner. But those are great questions to ask your veterinarian who's treating the infection to make sure that they're selecting an appropriate shampoo for your particular pet. Certainly. Another benefit of regular bathing in regard to environmentally allergic pets is that we are also removing the allergens that are on the surface of their skin. That can be tremendously helpful as well. Sometimes we'll have pet owners say, hey, my dog's feeling better after a bath, even if it's not medicated, simply because we're removing those irritants. Yeah, I think that's a big help for dogs with allergies. If they're not coming in contact with as many pollens or dust mites that they get exposed to during their day-to-day basis, then their immune system is less likely to be triggered and have an allergic flare. So just physically removing that stuff from their paws and their skin is helpful in managing their underlying allergies in addition to controlling for infections. Sometimes just the temperature of the water can be nice and soothing for the skin as well. So I oftentimes will encourage owners to bathe in cool or just lukewarm water instead of warm or hot water. Because if you think about inflamed skin, really inflamed skin doesn't want heat. It wants cool to bring down some of that inflammation. So a nice cool bath, as long as it's not freezing cold when the animal gets out of the bath, oftentimes is very soothing for them. Absolutely. That is a very important point. Um, I get a little bit of pushback here in the middle of the country when we have true winters, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) but it is a very important point. 
I still get pushed back here in Southern California when it's when it's 60 degrees outside. I'll have pet owners tell me that they haven't bathed as often because it's so cold. I remember. I remember. <laughs> All right. So we've talked a lot about, you know, how to diagnose a skin infection, how to figure out what the underlying disease is and the importance of being able to manage the reason why the animal is getting infection so the infection doesn't come back. And we've talked about some pointers for increasing the efficacy of topical therapy. So when we come back for the next episode, we'll talk about systemic antibiotics. Those are going to be either oral or injectable antibiotics that help to treat the infection from the inside of the skin rather than topically. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss the next episode with Dr. Webb Milam regarding systemic antibiotics for skin infections. If you are interested in seeing pictures of different types of skin infections and some beautiful before and after pictures of Carolina that Dr. Webb talked about, you can visit the website www.yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com for those pictures, as well as a transcript from today's episodes. You know, a lot of family veterinarians are very comfortable managing pets that have skin infections, but there is a link to the American College of Veterinary Dermatologists so that you can find a veterinary dermatologist near you on the website under the resources section if you would like to consult with a specialist. And you can view the references for today's show in the show notes on the website as well. If your pet has had skin infections and you know that nasty smell that can come when they're infected, if you've had issues with topical therapy and you've overcome those issues and want to help other pet owners or you just want to commiserate with people who have gone through skin infections with their dogs, I would encourage you to join the Facebook group Your Vet Wants You to Know so that you can talk to other pet owners. I do like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. Scratching the Itch is designed to highlight something, whether it's a product, a website, or a human interest story that just provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Dr. Webb, do you have a Scratching the Itch for us today? Yes, I thought about this for a long time, and I wanted to share something that brings me joy. I am a huge fan of nature, and I'm happiest when I'm outside um, with nature. I'm also fascinated by bears, especially Alaskan brown bears. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm stressed is to watch them fishing um, in Brooks River in Katmai National Park on the webcam, um, especially in fall when they're in, in a race to bulk up. Right now, the bears are sleeping because they are hibernating, but fortunately, the highlight reels are still available and still bring me a lot of joy. I remember when you shared this webcam with us, my daughter and I were cackling, laughing at these bears in the waterfall for a significantly longer time than I would be comfortable admitting. They are amazing. I will have a link to the Katmai National Park webcam so that if uh, pet owners or listeners want to go and take a look at those brown bears and get a really big smile, that would be something that they can check out. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this information about skin infections with us. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone who's listening, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know. 